Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have come empty of ourselves, knowing there is one source of the words of life. There's nowhere else we can turn. We see a world full of clamoring and, and those who are shouting their ideas, but it is a clanging symbol without truth, without love, and without hope. Father, we pray that your words would be poured into our hearts as into a thirsty desert, Lord, that we would draw it in and would allow it to spring forth a new life within us as only you can do. We pray for your spirit's unfettered work. Lord, you know the needs around us. We've mentioned those who've lost loved ones. We pray for comfort. We pray for those who are struggling with illness, struggling with old age, with, with heavy burdens. Father, that you would come alongside them and help us to be reminded to be like Aaron and her and to share those burdens. Father, we pray for those who are yet resisting your loving call that they would take the time to hear your still small voice and that they would turn because we see that we do not have much more time. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Last night as I was unable to sleep, um, I was uh, reading one of the pam pamphlets, the booklets that have been uh, given us uh, through the elder committee, and the Grace and Perseverance. And um, this morning during the message, you know, the brother was talking about how God calls us, and it just really brought this one phrase to mind from there, and I'd just like to meditate together on, on the second book of Exodus, uh, cha starting read in chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. <clears throat> you would turn with me to Exodus 3. <clears throat> now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush where he looked, and behold, the bush burning with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. We're going to continue reading, so don't close your, your Bibles. There's a, a lot that we want to read and meditate. This idea of God's calling, that really it is, God, who's the initiator, he's the one who has the, 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 the male in this role. I've just come from a wedding and, and an engagement the week before. Um, in Ephesians, is very clear about Jesus being that bridegroom and we being that receptive bride. 
in that he has taken the initiative. He is the, the one who's prepared the way, he's prepared the place, he has um, prepared at the price of his own, own uh, holiness, and uh, we heard all that we need to do to respond this morning, but he has already done uh, the great sacrifice on our behalf. And now he's taking the initiative and he's calling. And perhaps there's some of you that he is calling. And this is not an isolated place in the scripture where it talks about God's calling. He called Noah to, to build the ark. He called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He called him out uh, to the land uh, and called him to, to be. And by faith, Abraham went, not knowing how, not knowing where, but believing. And that faith was counted to him for righteousness. And um, we see in the New Testament how Jesus called those disciples and they immediately followed. They left all. They had all their business, their fisher, uh, fishing boats, nets, fathers, relationships, and they left it all to follow without hesitation the call of Jesus. Now God is calling Moses. Is Moses going to follow and call uh, that fall, follow that call immediately without hesitation? No. And we're going to kind of look through a little bit about God helping Moses with his reluctance to follow this call. There are those who are called to salvation. God might be calling you to serve him. So this is not a message purely to those who do not yet, have not yet responded to God's call. It may be a call to those who are believers who, who may be still hiding in the back of the desert and not willing to serve God in the way he's calling you to. So let's all pay attention. God calls Moses. He gets his attention. He calls him, and Moses responds. He says, here am I. You remember Samuel. He was also called, and he was told to add a little phrase to that. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Right? There was a willingness to obey, a disposition to hear and obey, which Moses hasn't quite shown here. Let's keep reading from verse 5. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. We need to recognize with whom we are dealing with. This is not your mother calling you for dinner, and you might delay by five minutes. This is the holy God of Israel. You aren't even worthy to stand in his presence. And if he takes the time to call you, do not treat it lightly, but with honor and respect. Moreover, he, God, said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. 
it is, it is appropriate for us to recognize when we are on holy ground, it's appropriate for us to show respect when we enter into God's presence, even in the sanctuary, that we would treat it with respect. But there was someone else who hid when they heard the voice of God. That was Adam. And we need to be careful we not found hiding when God calls us. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and will bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. So here we see the calling. If you read the end of the previous chapter, you know, it, it speaks of how grievous it was and how God heard the. And, and is this something that Moses is unaware of? Right, a little bit of context. Why is Moses in the desert? Wasn't he the one drawn out, that's his name, out of the river and uh, the very um, uh, raised as the foster child of the queen of uh, the princess of Egypt herself? And he saw the oppression and he saw how cruel and unjust it was and he took matters in his own hands and he thought he could bring justice by his human means and struck down the Egyptian and was fleeing for his life because it was found out, and that's why he's in the desert. Do some of you feel, yeah, I, I, I've heard, I've seen my need for salvation. I know I am not fit to enter into heaven. I know if Jesus were to come tonight and I, I see the signs, I see the world rapidly coming to fulfillment of, of biblical uh, prophecy, but I've tried. I've tried and I couldn't do it. I failed miserably. I'm not. I can't. I, I've, I, I know I can't because I've tried and failed. I know I've heard that from the lips of some who have, who have uh, counseled with me and I'm, I'm sure it's not uncommon. And so Moses has a different attitude. You know, you might say he learns something, right? Before, he didn't think about God. He charged right in there and killed the oppressing Egyptian. Now, is he thinking about God or is he just recognize that I 
am not sufficient to meet this challenge. Who am I? I am not enough. I can't do this. Like, who do you think I am? Some shepherd, and I'm going to go to the most powerful, you know, military power on the planet, and I'm going to set my people free, your people free. That's, that's just impossible, right? And how does God respond? Verse 12. This is a very key point here. Verse 12. Read it with me. And he, God, said, certainly I will be with thee. I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee when I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. You see, once again, Moses wasn't counting on God. He didn't count on God the first time, but he had this inflated view of what he could do. Now his idea of what he can do is shrunk down to size. He has the humility to understand he cannot do everything, but he cannot, you know, perhaps that is you know, youth today that we feel we can solve all injustice on the planet, you know, through the internet without any experience or wisdom. But, you know, then you real, reality hits and, and it's not so simple. And then the other ditch that we fall into is the ditch of perhaps nihilism and feeling like it's impossible it's all corrupt i can't change pharaoh's mind i can't change culture i can't change this corrupt world i can't be a light in this dark world is too dark i can't overcome sin i've tried i have these habits and there's nothing i can do about them i can't let go of the things God wants me to let go that I was convicted of when I heard Brother Brian this morning. I will be with thee. Do we count on God is ever present? That is the difference between the proud person who goes in his own strength, the, the defeated person who doesn't even try, and the one who has the humility to trust completely in the presence of God. Moses learns this lesson later on when they, God fulfills his word, and they are back on Mount uh, Horeb, on the holy mount of God, and the people of Israel have sinned, and, and God says, go without me to, you can get all of heaven I'm just not going to go with you because if I'm going to go with you, you're going to mess up again and I'm going to have to destroy you next time. And he pleads, no, if you don't go with me, don't send us. I don't want heaven without God. I don't want the land of milk and honey without the presence of God. And here's that promise. I will be with thee. Moses doesn't yet understand the value in the power and the transformation that comes from the statement that I will be with you. Do you, do I understand that with God with us, we can go to the superpower of the planet and rescue six million of people without losing a life? We can stand up to a culture, a cancel culture that, you know, seems to have 
everything stacked against us. We can stand up to classmates and teachers and all kinds of things if God is with us. Now Moses is not satisfied. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say, he's, at least he's thinking about it, okay? Before he just said no. Now he's, he's, he's starting to imagine what will happen if I actually try to follow you, God. And I'm, I'm going to come to your people. I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent unto me, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto, them, unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and have seen what is done to you in Egypt. <clears throat> and he, he promises them the land flowing with milk and honey. What's going on here? What's Moses quibbling about? What's his, what's his escape vector here? What's his, what's, his, what's his deal? How is he trying to weasel out of what God is asking him to do? I don't know enough. I don't know your name. They're going to ask me questions, and I won't know the answer. I don't even know the... You told me I'm going with you, but I don't even know your name. I know there are some people who, who, who tell me, well, in order for me to become a Christian, I don't know enough yet. I don't know the Bible. I, I, I haven't read the whole Bible yet. Or I've read the Bible and I don't understand everything. Or there, there's still, I've read the Bible too and there's things I don't understand. It's okay. The point is that God the I am, the one who is his identity. In his identity, there is power. Power that when Jesus said, I am, his accusers fell down on their faces in Gethsemane through the power of him simply declaring, I am. Do not let your confidence be in your knowledge or in your power, even of spiritual things. You know, I remember, I, I think now the terminology of being on the, the counseling carousel, and, you know, I had counseled with, we, we had a, a visiting elder in those days, and you made an appointment on the twice a year when he would actually come into town. And, and, and I already knew a lot of things he was going to say because I had spoken to him so often and I had already, you know, been seeking 
And it wasn't because I didn't know the Bible. It wasn't that I, I, I didn't have enough advice. It was more what the dear brother shared this morning, that I had not surrendered all and that I was not willing to follow, right? As, as uh, Brother Eckert often quotes, that you shall know my doctrine that is true if you actually do it, right? It is through obedience that we understand. And if we stay back and until I can see the whole path and have it all analyzed and figured out and compute the possibilities and say, I think I can do this, then I can obey you, Lord. No, no, you go in the confidence that he has called you and who he is, and he has a plan. He, he reveals more. There's a destination, a land flowing with milk and honey. He gives them confidence. The elders, you speak to them, they will listen to you. Uh, verse 18, they shall come to you, the elders of Israel and the king of Egypt, and he shall say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey to sacrifice. And I am sure, I'm sure you're going to succeed. Actually, no. <laughs> Let's read it again. And I'm sure, verse 19, that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with my wonders, and I will do in the midst thereof after that, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It will come to pass that when you go, you'll not go empty. So on. They would borrow, and they would come out with lots of jewelry they never, and riches they never had in. Continuing on, God has revealed a plan. He's revealed for us sufficient plan that we need to as we heard this morning we need to respond to the call we need to repent we need to surrender our wills we need to die to ourselves that he can we can be buried and resurrected with him and this is this is a miracle but god is first he's the initiative he's the one who who has the pattern First, you know, there was the pattern in heaven, and then he showed Moses how to make the tabernacle. First, there, the plan of salvation was in the mind of God before the very plan was created, we read in, in um, the New Testament. And here we see God showing the miracles to Moses here in the mountain that he was going to demonstrate to Pharaoh. And God has shown you the miracle. And what miracle do, do, do all the those who preach the, the gospel in Acts begin with, that Jesus has died in your place and has resurrected. And through him, there is redemption. Jesus has died and resurrected. This is evidence that to this day is one of the most irrefutable uh, historical points, that we have more data to show that Jesus has resurrected than for almost anything else at that time period. This is proof that, that God has come into the planet and he's come for you and now we need to respond to the miracle not only of Jesus' death and resurrection but he's done it for so many believers in those 2,000 years including ones that you know and have seen with your own eyes. God is real. He has changed others. They have died and experienced that resurrection power, and you can too, even as Moses experiences the miracles of 
death, leprosy, resurrection, and so on. And now Moses makes more excuses. Verse 10, chapter 4. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, not even, not before now, nor since thou hast spoken with thy servant. There hasn't been some miracle while you're talking that all of a sudden I became eloquent. But I'm slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now this, you might feel disqualified. I'm not capable, I'm not gifted. Some of you might think, well, you know, Saturday night, I may have to sit here before all the congregation, share my testimony. I, I, I'm petrified of speaking in front of people. I can't do that. I'm going to have to stand up and tell my friends. I, I can't express the word of God. And, you know, I'm not a minister. I'm not, you know, I, I can barely, I can't speak. But these are excuses. And, 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 and we start to sense that God is getting frustrated. And, and this is kind of the point that was being made in the, in the booklet is that God is the initiator. His plan is sufficient. His power is sufficient. But we respond. And we have the power to frustrate God. You and I can get God upset and frustrate him. Can you imagine? The God who speaks the universe into being, who loves you, has given everything for your salvation, and you're able to frustrate his grace, able to, to grieve him because he is a gentleman and he will not make you choose. You can excuse your way out of the greatest blessing, whether it be salvation or even his service here. You can make God angry. And God says to him, as he's saying, oh, I can't speak. Who, verse 11 now, who made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with him out and teach thee what thou shalt say. Like you're telling God what you're capable of when he made you. Right? You're advising the creator like don't you see something wrong with this picture? And Moses with God even starting to get sarcastic with him is still resisting and he says... Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send somebody else. He's, he's just flat refusing. It looks like humility. It looks like he's too humble and, and aware of his frailty. That's not how God sees it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Do you want to get God angry? We need to stop making excuses. 
We heard this morning what God is asking from us. We can make all kinds of excuses, but you don't fool God. You're on holy ground here, and you're trying to tell God that you're not capable of something that he tells you to do, and he's going to be with you. He's promised his presence. <coughs> he, it all doesn't compute, and God knows it. Now, God is gracious. <clears throat> he gives him Aaron. Ends up being a problem down the road, and you know the story with the golden calf. But God gives us grace, too. God gives us a community of believers. He gives us others who, have, who will walk alongside with us and hold us accountable and encourage us strengthen us in this, this journey, the body of Christ. And we need to be thankful for that. But ultimately, we need to obey. Being in these benches, singing these beautiful songs will not save us, will not accomplish God's purpose outside these walls. We need to obey when we are called. We do not want to frustrate or make him angry. And thankfully, thankfully, Moses went and returned and said "Let me to his father-in-law, let me go. And he was willing to obey. May we be more, but more like the, the disciples, but even if we're reluctant, the important thing is that we do obey. Please don't frustrate God's grace, but let each one of us be willing to obey him. So we've learned this afternoon how not to respond to God's call, to not make excuses. I was we're looking at childhood videos last night, and there was on the whiteboard was a big no excuses. I guess we probably had some challenges with excuses. Um, not that they've all gone away. Um, we need to stop making excuses when God calls us. Now, some of you will make the excuse, but I haven't heard God's call. That's scary. First of all, maybe you haven't heard God's word. You heard it today. It was quite clear. The heart of God pleading, why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you turn from destruction and live? That's, that's God's heart, and he is leaving that choice of turning with you. You need to make that choice. It's scary, I say, because... We read both in the Old and the New Testament, today, while you hear his voice, harden not your heart. There's an urgency because when we reject that call, we can't hear it as well. We get less sensitive, more immune, more, um, more dull. 
Maybe that's why Moses had to spend time in quiet by himself to hear. Maybe we are so afraid of the quiet, of being without some kind of electronic, internet-connected distraction that we don't hear from the eternal God. We need to make time because, Moses, because Elijah didn't hear it in the fire, in the wind, in the earthquake, but in the still, small voice. Let's listen. I know God is calling each one of us, and then let's respond. That would conclude this afternoon's service.